Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Talking Forest. Today we're joined by special guest Matt Nine. Matt holds a unique position that he is both a full-time strength and conditioning coach at a Division III institution in Salisbury, but also holds multiple positions within the sport of lacrosse as a whole on both national governing bodies and also other special interest groups. So without further ado, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Awesome, Tom. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to uh, dive into some uh, concepts today and and chat and uh, enjoy uh, being on this. So thank you for having me. No problem. I just, I think that everybody, you know, when we typically have a guest come on, we want to hear your story, kind of your origin story and what got you excited to become a coach and then specifically how you found your way to the role that you're currently at. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's different. I, I mean, I, I grew up in the Baltimore area and I was a baseball guy, right. And, you know, lacrosse is huge over in that area to where I'm at now. It was uh, basically complete opposite ends um, during my time. And so I, I went to Towson university and, uh, I played baseball there uh, for five seasons and got a, uh, my undergraduate degree in physical education and uh, had the, the realization when I was student teaching that I don't think I could do this for the next uh, 30, 40 years of my life. And so I said, like, well, I better, I better, I just spent five years and fair amount of money on uh, education to realize I didn't want to do it. Um, so I really loved A&P. Um, I love the heart. I love the lungs. They were my favorite. So I looked into a master's program, uh, cardiopulmonary physiology, but it also had a, a another concentration in strength and conditioning and it was just getting started. And so my, that was, I think my first year was the first year of that strength and conditioning track that they were starting to introduce. And um, so, you know, again, now I'm in uh, another year and a half in, and I know that the cardiopulmonary physiology uh, rehabilitation standpoint was something that, I, again, I could not see myself doing for the next 30, 40 years of my life. And, you know, part of it is, is like, you, you know, that athlete in you, you know, you want to be around like-minded people. And that, you know, that's what I end up coming to that realization. I wanted to be around other people that wanted to be the best they could be. And we found that in athletes. Right. I mean, the, the athletes that you get to work with every day, they love coming. They, you know, they want to get after it. They want to be the best. They want to compete. And that's what I like to surround myself with. Um, but again, it took me five or six years, roughly, to, to really figure all that out. And a lot of it came from my story as a player where I wasn't very good. Um, I played seven innings in three years, which is in baseball. That's not a lot. Right. You play 50 some games a season you know, at seven to nine innings per game. And I only played seven and three, I redshirted one and played none my second and all seven in my third. <clears throat> but I knew I could play. I made the team. So I wanted to work. Right. And so I started, I really fell in love with the weight room, uh, the training pieces, uh, the running, the conditioning, the speed work. Um, like, again, that was what the, those were the controllables that I had control over. I couldn't put myself on the field, but I could do everything necessary to be, ready if my name gets called, right? So doing the drill work, the strength, the powers, the speeds, the conditioning, that's what I could control. So I took advantage of it. You know, I, I probably bugged the the crap out of my head coach enough where he's like, all right, Matt, just go, go ahead, right? Like I'll, I'll put the film up for you so you can watch it. But so, you know, I get an opportunity in my fourth season, a couple games in, I take a no hitter into the seventh inning against UMBC. Actually it was, I think eighth inning against UMBC and got a first career victory. And then all of a sudden, a week and a half later, we're stepping off the bus at UNC Chapel Hill, which is a top 25 team in the country. 
and I throw a complete game uh, shutout for the first time in I think 152 games that they were shut out. And all of a sudden now I was the number uh, four starter on conference weekend. And so when I look back at what I loved, I loved the game of baseball and I loved the strength and conditioning pieces. And I think it was a no brainer at that point to kind of start moving my career in that direction. And I uh, had the opportunity to work in the Toronto Blue Jays organization. Loved it. Um, again, tough life. Professional life is, is, is not the easiest. Um, and so a job opened back up here at Salisbury University. And, you know, so I've been here now for 19. This is my 19th season uh, here uh, with the Seagulls. Um, again, we get the opportunity to train some of the best Division three athletes in the country. Um, you know, it's I've had the opportunity to work with 12 national championship teams. Uh, between our men's and women's lacrosse team and field hockey and baseball, um, which is which is awesome. I mean, again, some of these these athletes are the best of the best, and um, and a lot of them have some of the same similar stories, right? Where they could have played at a Division One low level, maybe got some time as a sophomore, redshirted their freshman year, and kind of maybe worked their way into it um, if they worked and. It's either that or they have the opportunity to win a national championship, but they still got to put the work in and, uh, day in and day out. I mean, you know, our men's lacrosse programs focus or concept on the, what's known as the they, they look at it, it's called the edge. Right. And he, Coach Berkman talks about it. Anything outside the normal three to five. We call, we talk about it a little bit more in depth with that. Where we look at right where average uh, ends and elite begins. Right. And saying, OK, a lot of people just want to be average. Right. They're happy with that and they're OK with that. But we start then defining okay, what does it look like? What is it you know, what does it take day in, day out? And, and we look at five different categories and uh, lifting, running, uh, recovery, playing the game and then mental conditioning. And so, again, what does that edge right, being willing to step over and become elite? What does that actually look like? And um you know, so that that really was was where my career kind of started in the field. Um, coming here at, at Salisbury, we've got two of the best lacrosse programs in the country. And uh, all of a sudden it, it just kind of started. You know, I had my first opportunity in actually in grad school. I was the ball guy um, at the end of the back then. That's when they had him at the end of the fields. And, uh, you know, I was sitting there and I was loving every minute of it. And then uh, I had to do our equipment manager was gone for a day and for a game and I had to run the box and I'll tell you, I'll never run it again, but I had, I had an absolute blast because of all the, the intensity in the box there. Now I also hated it because of the intensity in the box right there. We, we had, I think it was like our rival and man, I had like three penalties all rolling at the same time. I think some of them were different times, you know, starting and ending times. And I was just like, I was so stressed out, man. It's like never again, but I absolutely loved it, and I love this game now. Yeah. One time, it was great. One time, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, so then in uh, just you know continue to work and grow, and we started the uh, uh, special interest group for the NSCA. So I started getting involved with uh, the NSCA a little bit more, and you know felt that the game really needed it. You know, the game of lacrosse is in a spot where, I mean, it is so young in 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 context. I guess. It, one of the oldest games ever, but uh, here in the United States and the way it, it is, it's, it's very raw in everything that it has and especially the sports performance aspect. And so uh, a few of us got together and said, Hey, you know, let's, let's put something together uh, towards the NSCA and 
and see what'll happen. And so the NSA was accepted our off our opportunity uh, to start the, the lacrosse special interest group for the NSCA. And so we've been running that now for, I guess it's like five or six years. Um, so again, we, we have a podcast on there that you happened to hop on to, which was great. Um, and so again, I'm just trying to deliver, right. Answer questions, material, help people out and help them grow in the field of strength conditioning for the game of lacrosse. Um, and at that same time, then we went to USA lacrosse and wanted to chat with them just to kind of introduce ourselves. And it just so worked out that their progression is looking to start to evolve the strength and conditioning side of their high performance uh, model. And so I actually represent the NSCA uh, for lacrosse on uh, one of their committees uh, for sports science and safety for within the game. So, which has been awesome. I've learned a tremendous amount, you know, uh, as the game's progressing and growing and the role strength and conditioning is playing and uh, from the youth all the way up to uh, the national teams, which is, which is great. And hopefully we have, you know, are impacting uh, to some degree to help along with that and some of their initiatives and the research initiatives that are out there. I mean, it's, there's a lot of great stuff happening and I think it's only going to get better. Um, they're starting to evolve uh, again, like I said, into the sports performance standpoint. And I'm excited to see the next, like, uh, I guess like two to five years really is where we're going to see the, the biggest impact uh, start to come along. Um, let's see what else in, in 2018, I was named the uh, NSCA's college strength and conditioning coach of the year which was a huge honor. I mean, that, that really changed kind of everything for me, um, you know, the opportunity to present and travel and do sorts, different sorts of things all over the world uh, to help, you know, our brand of what we do here and along with lacrosse and so forth uh, all over the world, which has been pretty cool. So um, that's, that's kind of where I've been, how I've gotten here. And um, I absolutely love it, man. Day in and day out, you get to work with the best. Can't complain, man. Can't complain about that at all. Yeah, and I think people don't understand is that there's something so special about the energy of a weight room when you get in and, you know, you see someone achieve something they never thought possible, being able to plan a stimulus or an overload that results in something in the future. In six weeks, you're going to be able to do this. And whether it's a dunk, whether it's a 100-mile-an-hour shot, there is a magic that never gets old. And so I think it's really, you know, one of those things that unless you've seen it, you don't really appreciate it. But that you know, going along with that, there's a lot of science, there's a lot of uh, diligent work that has to be done on the back end that can often be pretty daunting. And specifically, if we kind of focus in on the sport of lacrosse, as you mentioned, lacrosse has had a huge evolution just in the last 5, 10, and 20 years. And even too within the women's game, because, you know, think about it, the males uh, have a certain game, the females have a certain game. Well, but it's completely different. I still, you know, when you watch the game, and, and there's really not a ton of parallels. I mean, soccer, <laughs> the ladies will play. Um, they go out. You're like, yep, looks like a field. That's that's a soccer field or basketball. Um, the ball's a little bit smaller, but, again, many of the concepts are the same. And lacrosse is entirely different from the face-off to um, how they shoot penalties. And so there's a lot of – yeah, there's a lot of unique – aspects and i'd love if you could just kind of again say someone who's listening who doesn't really know lacrosse other than they have sticks what are some of the key physiological and kind of sport demands and i know we could slice it down to the positions yeah. and things like that but i'd love to kind of just get your thirty thousand foot view as how you view the sport or if you were trying to explain to someone both on the men's side and the women's side what the demands really are yeah i mean well, kind of what you mentioned there with 
the, the change in the rules here over the past about, I guess it's been about three years now as they've, they've changed. So if you asked me the same question three years ago, it might've been slightly different, you know, um, not much, but, but I think a little bit different. So, you know, and from that, that, again, that 30,000, uh, the, the ability to accelerate, right. And that, that is the most, one of the most important things on our aspect, um, especially when we look at the offensive side, if we let's split it up offense and defense, you know, on that offensive side, our ability to accelerate uh, within a five to 10 yard space. Um, if we can gain separation, um, man, sky's the limit, right? Now it's, well, or I should say skills are the limit at that point, right? If you don't have the ability, there's skills to be able to receive in a tight space or be able to shoot in a tight space, it's going to be challenging, but you've created space. And so I think that's one of the biggest thing. Now on the defense defensive side, it's the inability to not allow space to happen on the opposite side. Um, you know, again, now we start diving that in a little bit. Um, your, your strength, huge, right. Um, and I would say, you know, the ability on a defensive side, let's look at defensive strength, you know, where you're talking, you know, those tight quarters, that explosion, right. You know, guys are, I mean, there's a lot of contact down there and, um, you know, part of that is going to be utilized to help create and manage space. Um, so what type of, of strength ability do you have? What type of then power ability uh, comes off of that, right? Your ability to produce force in, the, in a rapid uh, time. Again, that's going to help with that speed, obviously, and that acceleration, those first uh, two to three steps. But from that large picture, uh, our main focus that we look at uh, is the acceleration, right? Then we start breaking the acceleration down is what does your strength levels indicate to us, right? Because that your ability to produce force, if you can't produce a lot of force, that's going to have an impact um, or it's, it's, it's not allowing you to reach more of that higher potential. Um, so we start on the strike on the force production piece, and then we start moving into more of that power piece uh, from there. So that would be my, my take on it. Um, yeah. Well, I think, I, I think, yeah, I think that it's interesting <laughs> Right now, we're in a time where everybody on social media has an opinion and they can yeah. see their thoughts and their feelings and their beliefs when it comes to training. But as you just deconstructed it, it comes down to physics and biology. I mean, everybody laughs. They know that I was the antichrist of conditioning when I first arrived at Yale. But when you have 160-pound males, 170-pound males, that's a lot of opportunity to get better. And so we really focused, as you pointed out, on force and not necessarily, yeah, we got stronger, you know, uh, and again, all things considered and a healthy male should squat double their body weight. Well, it doesn't help if you're the strongest ant. And so yes. we wanted to make sure that we maximize the cross-sectional area. So not only did we produce higher forces and higher accelerations, we could receive those forces in a D-cell, but we could also do it at a greater ease and efficiency. And so the hallmark of our program early on I didn't hate running and I love it whenever people see me at a conference they're like you're the no running guy and it wasn't that it was no running it's just you have to understand <clears throat> at, yeah we weren't getting you know back in the day we weren't getting the blue chip fully polished 205 shredded you know yeah. basically a free safety um or a yeah. corner um player we were getting 160 to 180 um and we would bring them up and, and to your point about the rule change as soon as the shot clock came on, that drastically changed what we would allow in the defense and specifically the D-middies because the ability to have a D-middie with sufficient enough skill to get up and down was a tremendous 
tactical advantage for the offense. And so you had to shift and adjust with the time. But getting back to the smallest point, we know that the game is played at 165 to 175 pounds of muscle. Now at Yale, we had a DEXA scanner, so we could see that, we could measure it. And so whether you you were born with it and you rolled into our program um, at a higher muscle level, that was great. You just started a different part of the journey. Um, and then also too, we knew that getting stronger had diminishing returns. When you start talking about our shooters and offensive players, you do run into some problems at the higher velocity levels because we saw guys and and when i first sat down to do our analysis of okay what does the research say well 2015 there's not a lot of research yeah we actually had to do some of our own with southern connecticut and we start looking at the pelvis and we start looking at the low back is that the rotary forces were so high in our top shooters yeah maybe spinal axial loading wasn't a great idea because the actual sport itself was completely changing um, the way that their their body was performing. And so it certainly had a lot of unique challenges, but if we could get them strong, we could get them powerful, we could get them fast. And, and that magic number, like you said, offensively, if on a pro agility, you run a 4.2 or faster, you have to have a slide. And for anyone listening in lacrosse, the goal is to create space to get open to shoot. One of the defensive moves is that, you know, kind of in basketball where you might pass off somebody, well, slide and go into a new zone, actually calling for a slide or demanding a slide because you're so fast is a big, big, huge advantage. And so our goal was always to have everyone require a slide because then just, you know, skill wise and strategy wise, there's nothing you can do. And so I think it all roots in its foundation of muscle and force, but how you apply it as well. Now let's take a little step in another direction on the women's side. Could you break that down? Because that is again, not only different rules, but different physiology demands. What have you seen evolve um, from the women's standpoint of the game? Well, and again, so I think maybe the men's game is maybe transitioning a little to very similar to the women's game. What I mean by that is, uh, we're seeing a lot more two-way players now, right? Uh, on the men's side, where you have this competitive advantage um, by having, like you said, a defensive midi who can play on the offensive side or an offensive midi who can play defense and keep a mismatch out on the field, right? So from our midfield, I think we start to see, a, are starting to see a little bit more of what we're seeing on the women's side. Because in the women's game, you got to get up and down the field, right? So where the conditioning piece I think is is much higher uh, overall because we're not necessarily transitioning on and off as much as we would see in the men's game. Um, so if we're able to be able to uh, transition quickly, I think that's kind of where we look at on our end is our ability to transition, to get up the field as fast as we possibly can, right, to create a mismatch. Um, ultimately, uh, from there, so again, how do we do that? We look at it as our fitness levels first on that game um just because we know that that's that's a huge competitive advantage secondarily our transitional uh people who are going to make those 20 to 30 yard 40 yard runs to get it into the offensive half speed right if they have the ability to top end speed because uh, they're going to we're going to get pretty darn close to top end speed if their top end speed is high we have the ability to really create that uh transition um, you know, to get to that offensive uh, side. And again, that, that that's huge, you know, being able to, to make that, that, that transition happen. Um, so from that point there, now it becomes, you know, uh, a much tighter game at this point. Um, and now we start again, looking at acceleration again, 
uh, from our attack, our offensive uh, side players. Um, and again, it builds back in now, what's our strength levels? What's our power levels um, at that point? So uh, slightly different, like I said, I mean, really that, that transitional piece is what changes the game. I think on our end, you know, what we're looking at to optimize, again, you're, you're, no matter what you do in sport, you're trying to create mismatches as much as possible. Um, and so if we can create that uh, by being able to transition the ball up the field at a high rate, uh, so a high rate of speed over a longer distance. But again, what ends up happening then, now you may get stuck on the field still. Now you got to transition all the way back another 40, 50, 60 yards uh, back, you know. So that's where the fitness piece, I think, is huge um, and kind of trumps a little bit more of that strength power piece. Yeah, and I think it becomes a, a, a paradox of people typically fall into two camps, the strength, no run, uh, force, power, and then conditioning and cardio. And people will say fitness, they'll say cardio, <clears throat> but let's just be real with what it is. There, there's an aerobic and anaerobic component to get you mm -hmm. physically to a different area. Then what you do there, what you do there often dictates your success. And so when people talk about this kind of problem as uh, black and white or strength or fitness, everybody's different, but there's a minimum demand. And so you might even across the course of a season have someone who needs a little bit more strength reinforcement, or if they're in a position where they have to back off that, you know, they don't really want to fall below. Coaches will often say who's the best, or they'll do a leaderboard. And we would always joke, it's not about who's the best. The best is once you put a stick in your hand, but don't fall behind. Don't be a liability. And it'll be very interesting, and I, and I think you're spot on with the men's game, getting a little bit more of um, towards the women's track. And then also with soccer, I would compare some of those soccer or rugby numbers where you're going to still need to be big enough to take a hit um, in competitive play, but also um, certainly the, the total distance and distance at speed will go up. So that'll be fascinating to see um, as that data gets collected. And I'd love to hear, too, on that. I know we had Adam Petway talk about in basketball, they saw with their data, yes, you look at volume, you look at velocity, but the best players actually moved the least amount of distance, but they also had the highest velocities. And I think when you hear him say that, I think that's analogous to a lot of the open field space teams where you know the priority and the premium is on getting away or locking something down that maybe that's a new type of way of looking at it or a new type of graph of what was your total distance covered? Oh, this person went really far. Well, they also, they were guessing the best yeah. player should be smooth and efficient, but you still have to be able to hit 20 miles an hour in the open field. And so that's where coaches could use that as a better gauge rather than either, or it's running on a continuum over time. Yeah. That's a, a different way to, I think, to look at it. I mean, you know, when you talk about it like that, it's, it's really saying, okay, well, what's actually happening, right? You have this data, cool, but literally what is actually happening? I think sometimes video and reanalyzing some of the video is huge to be able to watch and literally see, like you said, where that person, yeah, they're traveling these large distances, but are they getting any better? Are they making the rest of the people around them better by doing that? Or are they ultimately making the rest of everybody else around them worse, right? Because now they are traveling more, right? So fatigue is probably going to be a little bit higher, right? And then does that, you know, they're not able to rot, reach their maybe top end speeds or maybe is that because they're fatigued, you know? Now, how does that play late in the game? You know, now how does that play late in the season? Um, you know, so if, if we're, you know, 
not focused on it, not paying attention to things, man, that's, it's critical. And unfortunately here at us, like we don't have the GPS units to be able to wear on, you know, on every single one of our guys or, you know, only a handful actually, hopefully we're, we're, we're hopeful here that we're going to be progressing here with that. But I mean, it's, it, it, again, it, those are the daily challenges, you know, that you're going to see is like, you know, when you want to be your best is at the end of the year. But if you're not managing data or anything along the line to help get you there, odds are you're probably going to be at your worst. Um, well, you pay for it. And often yeah. many of the problems of today were, you know, through the shortcomings of the past few months. So training logs become incredibly important. Practice plans become incredibly important. I'll never forget growing up, I, I played volleyball uh, back in the day when I used to leave the earth. Now I'm pretty grounded. To <laughs> um, but I remember watching Guillermo <laughs> play for Toromar and he was, since like 11 and under, he was the gold medal MVP. Unbelievable, phenomenal. By senior year, he had an offer, had a 40-something vertical. I remember the legend has it when he was playing in a game, he jumped so high, um, he got his feet stuck in the net. And when I actually got to see him jump, it was different. It was unbelievable. And he actually wound up playing point guard at Miami. Um, but the point of this story was is that he was incredible. But when you watched him move, and any of the great athletes, it looks smooth, it looks effortless. Yeah. But then he could get his feet stuck in the net. And that just is a unique talent. And I think in the other side of things, you'll see players. And I can think of someone who, you know, he's always diving, going everywhere. And coaches sometimes view that extra strain and effort as, you know, like really good. Like that's what we want. Or you could have just been in the position you were supposed to be. And so really trying to combine is that distance because that's what was required or you, did, you didn't read it. And as your IQ goes up, and as your you know acumen gets better of your sport, do you start making better decisions? Do you transition and five yards here, ten yards here? As you point out, that adds up. And the more distance you go, the more breaking you have. Well, suddenly now your strength de density really matters. What was that training density over the fall and in the winter to be able to handle those loads in the spring and start to shift that? So I hope there's some more research that comes out on that because they're definitely <laughs> a kind of sliding scale coaches need to be aware of because at the end of the day most people stop playing their acute failure happens where they planted they wanted to go left and their joint decided to go right and yeah. ligaments said nope not today and so if we can figure that out i think that would be a really helpful tool to be able to set kind of an xy coordinate of where we in this individual on this day needing to focus in their training stimulus and priority so we don't hit some of those critical levels where we have an acute failure. Well, and the thing you mentioned there in terms of like the IQ and we were sitting and talking with our head coach, I think just last week about this, you know, like how can we incorporate that piece into what we're analyzing in our data, you know, and, and what role does that, does that play where maybe you aren't the most explosive or the, the, the strongest, but your IQ level towards the game or towards your position is, is much higher. And so, but, but how do, how do we quantify that? You know, it's, it's things that, again, we're having conversations towards it, which I think is, is a, is a positive that we're starting to figure, okay, well, how can we, how can we here at Salisbury quantify for what our uh, attackmen, what does their IQ need to be? What do they need to be do? When do they need to do it? How do they need to do it? Um, and how can we assess and analyze that? you know, with what we have available to us to give us a, a good assessment. So then we can start playing, you know, one guy that we were talking about, you know, he's a, he's a fifth year guy. He's a transfer uh, grad school. 
like they're saying his IQ is just off the chart. You put him into the weight room, right? Uh, you would, you, he'd be the worst guy, you know, or, or he'd be on the, on the lower uh, third of that, you know, assessment of all of a majority of some of our assessments, you know, um, but his IQ is so high from what our coaches are saying of what they're just saying, okay, this is IQ, whatever that means to them. That's the thing. There's nothing that they're necessarily using to quantify it, which again, talks are happening. So I think it's something neat that we're going to look into more of how can we quantify, you know, a player's IQ? How does that roll with their, you know, their testing data that we're seeing? Um, yeah. And then how do we enhance that? And to you mentioned that person doesn't ever have to be elite physiologically. They are elite because of other things. And so I remember having those hard conversations of, and you know, it's tough if you're a good player going down and meeting with the strength coach to hear that, you know, Hey, you're actually the worst at running. You're the worst, but you got here because of something else. Mm -hmm. Can we work together to make a plan so that you don't fall apart? Can we work together so that this is no longer, it's never going to be elite. It's never going to be great, but let's not have it be a liability that takes away your superpower, which is again, your vision, your ability to create, your ability to find spaces. And I think that there is something to the creative aspect. So anyone who doesn't, you know, kind of know lacrosse, there's a real art. Um, there's an honor and a tradition going back into the Native Americans and how how they play the game and finding space, creating space. But there's a real artistic element to it. And I know that specifically in our military population, and whether it's for shooting and targeting, knowing where something's going to go, predicting where they're going to be quarterbacks in the NFL, the anticipatory, I'm looking at my receiver, my receiver is going into the zone, and there are one or two individuals that might come in at specific angles. That's a that's a cognitive gift to know what the opportunity is, but then to communicate that to your arm and your in your your rest of your body to fire this projectile into an area. And I've watched individuals where again, I can think of them, they know who they are. They weren't going to win any athletic competition in the traditional weight room, but what made them incredible champions and MVPs was is that they could just do things and see things almost two or three rotations ahead. Probably liken it closer to chess at high speed with violence. And yes. so I'm going to go in here. I might get crushed afterwards, but you know all the calculations that they're running in their head that they can catch it and shoot it. And sometimes they don't even look. And I think that that was one of the things that really impressed me the most is they could catch it and they could know what <laughs> behind them was doing and dump it in there. And with enough precision to get it, it's just fascinating. So yeah. certainly there's a cognitive component that needs to be evaluated um, that kind of borders on that anticipatory um, object tracking, but also that creative, that creative space and knowing the tendencies of your players as well as your opponents is certainly a gift that you either have or you don't. Yeah, and I think it's something that we have to look at, right? Our goal as coaches, we're trying to get just 1% better, slightly better every single day, right? And again, with our with our athletes, I mean, that 1%, you know, his his 1% might be just like you said, keeping him healthy um, because he has a fifth year, things like that. I mean, or do we have the ability if we, what happens if we increase his force production capability a little bit and he still has all that cognitive uh, piece of, available, does that, drastically impact um, his performance. Um, but again, it, it's, you know, all these different things coming at you. So, okay, what's best for this individual? Main, it's, it's probably not going to be what what's best for a freshman who's currently weighing 155 pounds, like soaking wet. Um, but 
you know, when you look at, you know, but has like, given it one of our guys right now, he's um, short pole midi. Um, he's 160, like five and a half to 6% body fat. Um, and he weighs, you know, he's like, well, like I said, about 160, 162. Right. But he, he runs, he's our fastest individual that we have. Um, the dude can absolutely fly, which is great right now. But what happens if he can absolutely fly for this guy, you know, where his body weight is now putting into the one seventies to one eighties where we start before we even start looking at what is his lean mass, um, you know, there, uh, he's just got to gain weight at this point and work to maintain that two totally different players, you know? Um, yeah. And I don't think that people understand that when you talk about adding lean mass, you're not saying at the expense of velocity, there's this big misconception that heavier yeah. weight means <laughs> slower. Um, and that's just not the case. There's a reason why NASCAR engines, you know, aren't four cylinders because again, from an output standpoint, and as you talk about him, you know, he will create that open space, but what happens when you're greeted with a friendly 210 pound, you know, buzzsaw of a defense, the durability becomes the issue, not that you couldn't create that space. And I think coaches have to take that into account of saying, okay, my longevity and my output. Great. You, you run 21 miles an hour. That's a good output. You do it in 150 pounds, you know, 160 pounds, your longevity goes up because you are going to run into physical contact. It's not track and field, run fast, lean left, you know, run fast and you might get smacked along the way with pretty incredible physical plays, both even on body to body contact, but with a basically a sword, you know, a blunt sword just whacking you and, and hitting it and it accumulates it. But I think that those super hyper speed guys um, they can just do things that you just sit there and your jaw drops. I mean, I'll still remember watching uh, Sowers over at Princeton. I mean, that kid could fly. His feet were like a water bug. He never got stuck in it. He, he, he played the game with different physics. Um, and so we had to make sure that it was our job that, you know, whenever he greeted our defense, we gave him some kind customer service down in the crease. And so um, yeah. just you have yeah. to play your strengths because um, everybody has a strength, everybody has a weakness, but you're only as good as your most vulnerable weakness. And so whether that's conditioning, speed, nutrition, recovery, back-to-back -back games, hot games, cold games, you really need to know the demands. And I think I like how you talked about it's so important to know not what your team needs, but what does that person need this season, that month, that week, that day, that practice, that session, and can you optimize it 1%? Because it all makes a difference both in the short term, but over that four-year development that you have of the person. Yeah, the, the hard part for us, you know, division three where, you know, I, I oversee a whole department. I've got a couple grad uh, students, grad assistants that work for me, like making that happen is the hardest part that we have from our standpoint, from a coaching standpoint. I'm not just with them. I also run our football program, our women's lacrosse program, our field hockey program. And so just like that, I've got over 200 athletes, well over 200 athletes, nearly 300 athletes that I have to program design and train for all year long. Right. And so again, those are some of the limitations that we have. And, but again, we, we gotta, we, we can't, like, it's not going to be an excuse. Right? We've got to figure it out. If we want to make sure that we're sitting where we want to sit in May uh, from an outcome standpoint, then we've got to put the effort and work in throughout the whole entire year. That is most optimal. One of the things that we always talk about, here is is optimal and finding optimal. Right? You can just go and lift. 
you're going to get probably a little stronger. You're probably going to get more powerful, right? Anybody can do that, right? But trying to find optimal um, and, or, or striving to find optimal, right? So where we know what we may want to do with that individual, we just may not be able to quite get there fully to what we deem as optimal, but we're striving to be better at optimal. Um, and so maybe we are grouping a handful of, of guys who are relative, uh, who have that same relative need together to other guys who might have relative needs. So we're now you're taking, you know, right now we're at like 63 guys, you know, we've taken 63 guys and, and maybe grouping them into four or five groups. That's manageable. Uh, we can make that happen. Um, you know, are there, are people going to fall through some of the cracks? Yeah, but hopefully our cracks are a little bit smaller now compared to if everybody is doing the exact same thing, right? Now people will get lost and you're only going to be impacting maybe a small portion in the middle and the, the top end guys aren't going to see anything. And the bottom end guys aren't going to see very much either. It's specific to their need. Um, and it's a disservice to everybody. Um, and again, yeah. at the end of the day, we're not, we're not going to be where we want to be in May if we're, if we're not prepared. And I think any great team, you have to have decentralized command. You talked about the different groups. I mean, we would assign lifting captains. So yes, we yes. have one captain in the spring, but in the off season, you're, you're a cat and so you work with your sophomores and juniors and we've talked about this on the power athlete podcast on you know the emotional leadership as a great coach you can't be the center of everything and as you mentioned and you know you got football you got this and, and just as a professional there's a high burnout going on in our field right now just because of all the stuff going on so making a management strategy and, and if you're not using a digital platform we were big fans of team builder the kids log in they've got their plan i've been dealing with that once and then there's individualized components within there. They're filling it out. They're trying and making your athletes want to be great is a lot different than commanding them to say, you have to do this. I'd be the first to go and coach Shea would say, you know, if, if coach has got to motivate you, you know, we shouldn't have recruited you. I'm just here to merely tell you the different, you know, options here <laughs> at the table, but you got to step up and do it. And I'll never forget, you know, seeing our juniors and seniors write nutrition plans. Nutrition plans that I would say would rival what you would see um, a, a nutrition uh, professional or having them articulate sleep, having them articulate, why are you in the weight gain group? You know, why are you in that? And what is weight? What is muscle? And then when you get to that different thinking of everything as plateaus and stairs, what do I need to do to level up? What do I need to do to make the place where I'm at right now solid? You know, lay the rebar, pour the concrete. But then you explain to me. And, and one of the things that I enjoyed the most was stepping on that floor and then it ran itself. I was there to auto-regulate. I would talk to people. I would give them, you know, I'd give them some motivation or whatever they needed on the day. Um, but that program really took um, a life of its own and I just had to kind of shepherd it and steward it. Um, but it's pretty empowering. And as you mentioned, how impactful training was to you as a, as a, as a person outside of the sport, that's probably one of the greatest gifts we can give individuals in athletics is learning how to handle these things, but make a plan for success. And that goes across any sport. Yeah. And life, you know, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, eventually these are going to be our next coaches, our parents, you know, parents who are going to coach their kids or college coaches, high school coaches, pro coaches, pro players, you know, there's going to be something next, right? Um, just being healthy in life. You know, what have you now taught those guys from a nutrition standpoint for the rest of their life and who do they impact? You know, you talk about the thousands of people, one coach will impact, you know, um, 
it's bigger than that, right? It's bigger than what we do in the weight room any given day. It's bigger than the X's and O's. And that's real coaching. You know, when you can get somebody to do something that they don't want to do and absolutely love it, you know? And uh, I remember we had a, a, an athlete here said, coach, I absolutely hate coming to the weight room. I'm never going to like it. So you know what? I'm going to get you, right? I can guarantee you. And just walked away, right? And uh, it was there. It was her junior year. She's coming to me and say, Matt, can I buy one of your T-shirts? And I said, I got you. She said, what are you talking about? I said, do you remember that conversation we had in week one of your freshman year about how you hated the weight room? I got you. She's like, you remember that? Like, absolutely, I do. Like, you've been my mission for the past two and a half years right now because somebody who says they don't like it, I got to make sure that they figure out how to love it. Uh, because, again, from our vision of what we have here, it's bigger than just playing games. I mean, this is a lifelong thing, you know, your wellness and, and happiness and what little part can we teach you that hopefully you can then remember and maybe teach to the next generation of youth kids, uh, whether it's like a fun little warm up. OK, like that's great. You've taken something along with you um, along the way. Um, and, and, you know, going back to kind of what you were talking about, like, you know, we look at commitment. Um, it's, it's one of the things that. To me, it's the biggest, the biggest for where we are, what we do here at a division three level. Um, it's not mandatory to come. I can't make it mandatory. I can't report back on the off season. Nothing. It's I can't, can't take attendance. Right. So you got to want to love it. You got to want to love to get better. You got to want to be committed to your program and the players that you surround yourself with. Um, and so we've said, well, you know what, we should probably analyze this, right? Like it's probably the biggest thing. At least I think so. One of the biggest things to analyze is your level of commitment to being the best you. Um, and so, you know, we, we dove into a little bit of Angela Duckworth's grit work, um, their 12 point grit assessment, just to kind of see like, well, how gritty are you? Like, do you really want to put the work in or is that part of your nature? Um, and the more and more we started to look at it and think about it and say, well, like, what if the head coach comes to you and says, Matt, why aren't these guys getting any stronger? Well, what are you going to say? Well, my program's not very good. I mean, but, but what data do you have? Looking at our grit numbers, man, these, these, a lot of these guys aren't very gritty. Well, here's what we did from a, a, to enhance that, right, to try to develop their grit levels. They don't want to work, right? They don't want to put the effort in, right? So, again, it's just starting to think about that process. Man, I need high grit uh, high grit individuals around each other. That's how we're going to get better. So then looking at uh, some of Jeff Jansen's work and the commitment continuum, and can we actually analyze their commitment levels? There was an article it's where it kind of started off for us. It was an article um, on powerlifting. Right? And it looked at, well, as an adult, why am I not making many gains? And so they started analyzing, well, what does your daily life look like? Well, you had to work, you had kids, you had family, right? And so all of a sudden, like, can you commit the same thing you could before you had all that? And so it started to get us thinking. It's like, well, we're at the college level. We've got academics, you got social life, you got your athletic life and anything in between that, right? Well, how can we commit uh, or what are we even committing to? Right? Most people have no ideas. Like I'm committed. And then we say, what are you committed to? And it's saying becoming better. Well, what does that even mean? Right. If you don't know, how are you going to commit to be better at it? Right? 
Right. And I think that people understand the answers to each other and you can get people to buy it. It's inconvenient to wake up at 6 a.m. It's inconvenient to measure your watch. It's inconvenient and all these things and these comforts. But the best programs, if you if you're on any sport, when you get a group of individuals to commit to something bigger to them and we see this in religion, we see this in the military, we see it in the top tier units like, you know, I'm committed. Yeah, you're going to jump on that grenade take yeah. your life instead of your buddies and most people are gonna go like no i'm not really i don't i mean i'm, I'm kind of committed when it's like like sunny out and like when i don't have my like exams but that ultra commitment to each other and just getting rowdy like i i think back to you know our team you know we had recruits come in and they were very accomplished this was after we had had some success and our guys are <laughs> killing themselves at a lift on, I think it was like a Friday morning, getting after it. And it, it, it was like a mash unit. Lifts are going and people are screaming, music's bomb. And I just seeing deer in the headlights. And you either look at that and go, I, I want to get rowdy. Or you go, oh, hell no. <laughs> like, I'm good. I, I like playing the game of lacrosse. It is clean. I want my uniforms. Or that larger collective group. And I do think there's something, and I know there's been research looking at the brain from a pathological standpoint and actually from biological organs, that they, there's a propensity for that. And and whether it's family values, culture values or something, anybody throughout their timeline that has this kinetic involvement. And so we would often ask, you know, in recruiting, what do you like to do for fun? And if it was video games, if it was reading, if it was whatever the thing was, we were looking for someone who liked to participate in physical activity with their peers. Now it could be, hey, these are my five buddies, we go surfing. Or, you know, these are my favorite, uh, these girls are like my best friend and we stay tight, we still talk. And so we were always looking for that connectivity point because if I asked you, did you get out of bed today and work out? You'd be like, oh, I was tired, whatever. But if you go, I don't want to, I don't want to leave my buddies. I don't want to not show up to lift because I don't want to let them down. If you can find that commitment to something bigger than them early on, you can then shape that into a sport or whatever that thing is. And, and I love how you say, you know, are you committed? Well, I'm committed compared to what? I, I actually just recently, I went down, I swung by campus the other day, met with Coach Shea, said, hey, what's up? There was an individual studying at the uh, library. He hasn't seen me in two years. I walked up, tapped him on his shoulder. I go, what's your macros? And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, how much, how many, how much protein do you have today? Where's your snacks? What's your water? How many, how much water have you had today? And he was like, bah, 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 and he started remembering it. Um, and then we started laughing is that committed compared to what? your current team, the champions, the people of the past. And if it, the answer isn't to my teammates and then whatever the thing is, you're probably not going to have success. So coaches need to spend a lot more time investing in that you know, larger cause before they get into the back squat, front squat, lunges, whatever. Yeah. That's just a formality. And, and most of them don't know. Like you said, they, they just have no idea what they're even committing to, other, you know, other than their teammates, right? Um, but, but again, taking that a little bit further and deeper, like what is it? You know, what does it look like? What does it not look like? Right. I think spelling both of them out is critical. Um, and again, I, you know, running some simple statistics off of that to see how well are you committed? Um, like I said, we use those five categories that I mentioned earlier. It's like, okay, well, what is your standard? Like what is our standard for our team, right. To be what is elite considered elite. Um, and again, that's the, that's the bottom, right. That's the base. Right. And, um, you know, taking it and seeing like, okay, well, how, how, how well do you match up to that standard every day? And again, using that vision and, and values and so forth, like that's where the, 
the connector is to everybody. And then the, the specific standard around each one of those categories. And again, the elite teams, their, their commitment scores are a lot higher um, across the board uh, for every single one of our teams. Yeah. Those who are low, low committed. Well, you get predictable results, right? And, yeah, and I think that, I think back to Jocko had a podcast, I believe it was 174, where he looked at the Marine Corps and how they do their evaluations. And so it was about the eminently qualified Marine. And so he starts reading the descriptions of the eminently qualified and how they do it. And how if you look at like a, you know, zero to five or zero to four, you know, the zero was like you showed up. A one was like you did the bare minimum. And it's still like a lot of people. <laughs> don't even show up but i, I love yeah. that exercise because i would ask our interns and strength coaches what's an eminently qualified strength coach are you squared away on your numbers are you squared away with your relationships eq iq what is it but the actual watching the brains just melt of like yeah what is my standard is and, I, and i think that people need to understand if you don't talk about it or there isn't something to read in reference to then every day check it you're missing a huge opportunity and it'll change. Like the commitment level of the team now is different than five years ago. And sometimes that commitment goes up or down depending on the individuals because your commitment oh, yeah. is proportionate to the individuals and the outcomes you expect. And I just, I encourage every coach to go and download that podcast and challenge you, both your staff and your players to come up with what is eminently qualified. What's the eminently qualified lacrosse player? And if you really... Yeah believe in yourself as a professional and a player, let your players rate you. Yeah. Players, let the coaches rate you and see if you're in alignment with your vision of you think that you're a five, but yet you're constantly late. You don't fill out your workout cards. The pins aren't put away. I'll, I'll, I told the story, I think, on our podcast with you. I watched our captain in 2020, arguably still the best lacrosse team that never was. We didn't get to play because <laughs> out during the pandemic. But I watched our captain go around and pick every single weight stack and check to make sure that the pin was in the appropriate slot. He didn't have to do it. No, nobody was looking. But I mean, that's how puckered up he was to make sure that he was on point, that every detail was covered. And just most people wouldn't even know to check that. I mean, we, we've even done peer to peer. Right, that's the toughest. Right. Again, you got to set up the environment and create that environment where that's acceptable. Uh, but peer to peer, you know, tell me where you think everybody else is, include yourself. And then we're going to compile the data and say, hey, this is what your teammates think of you. Right. Is that OK? You know, and I remember a kid said, Matt, you know, I, I don't agree with this. He's like, what do you think? I said, well, you know, based off the data, like, you know, where you had maybe a majority what we call like a distraction or disturbance on the lower side to existing you're there we don't know if you're there or not there it wouldn't matter anyway right you're there more often than you're not and so that's why you had a couple check marks in some of the higher categories for certain people because they're probably the ones who maybe surround you on more often so they may see a little bit more of some of the positive things where everybody else who, who isn't in that, they see you and you're like a clown, you know, you're, you don't have a, an impact. Again, at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's top to bottom, right? One through 63, right? On one team, one through 63 would be the top, the 63rd person from this one team would be the top person on one of our other teams, you know? So they're all different. 
And it's just your 60 within that 63 right now, where do you sit? Um, and, and what are you going to do about it? At the end of the yeah, that's it. Don't, and that's don't what, get that's upset. What, don't get upset. Where did you? Okay, so you didn't show up to live, or you didn't fill out this thing, or you didn't do something. Now that you know, what will you do about it? And I love that when people do rankings, usually it's like an average. You got a four point two. You got a this. <laughs> really want to you know have some honesty? Do a force ranking. So it's full on. You know, five categories by five. I could get an average for that. So, but of twenty five points across your sixty three, sixty four guys. You got whatever, 800 points, 700 points. And you, you, whether you like it or not, you wear the jersey one through 63. But if these are opportunities where you can improve with your teammates, what are you going to do about it? But for, forced rankings, I think, are super important. And, and you could change it in a week. Yeah. You could change it in a minute. What are you going to do about it? It's, fun. it's funny that you mentioned that. So we, we do some uh, small-sided gameplay. Obviously, we can't use the stick for what we're doing, but we do like a three on threes up to five on fives and, um, you know, relative space. A lot of our work is based off of soccer research um, from heart rate zones and things like that, that we're attaining based off the size of the field and the number of players. Uh, but right now, every match that was played is is tracked with the, those players. So if you're in a 4v4, right, you're getting a point if your team wins. And I'm telling you, so we, we, we started this on Monday. And by Wednesday, man, they're getting rid of people like, yo, you're off. Like you didn't contribute. You didn't work hard. You didn't push. I don't want you. And all of a sudden, like, hey, but I liked what I saw when I played this team over here. I want that guy. So all of a sudden, these competitors who hate losing, right, are now trying to find other like-minded people who want to compete. And nobody wants to be the guy who gets let go. Right, nobody you guys set up your own transfer portal. You got waiver going. You got You got to get a commissioner in here. We got to go. <laughs> it is, but I mean, it's and then what's that? Like three days, right? Within three days, like we're we're cutting, we're getting rid of guys. Like, hey, I, I got. I'm sorry, man. You had I had to let you go. Like we only won. We won two out of eight games in day one. You are you are our biggest letdown. I mean, now it's humbling, right? Like people know that, like. When they didn't ask you back, that's telling you a little bit about yourself, right? And it's not because you did exceptionally well and you were a winner and you wanted to be great. That's never not at, not at this not where we're at. It's because you didn't work hard, you didn't push, you didn't. Oh, again, at the end of the day, uh, we don't have live monitors, so we can't see it. My guess is we probably weren't reaching the metrics that we were expected to be to meeting out of those individuals. Um, because the games are pretty high intensity. We're looking at roughly above 90% of max heart rate. Um, right now our games are being played at about three minutes because we just started this process here. So we're playing high intensity three-minute games, um, uh, 4v4 yesterday. Um, and you know, right now we're playing to an end zone uh, or a scoring zone. Um, eventually the scoring zones start to come in to be uh, similar to like the crease. Uh, can we get into the scoring zone? But then, you know, progressing upwards of um, heart rate wise, six minutes, being able to about what the body can can handle, um, being at about 85 to 90 percent plus max heart rate for that extended period of time. Um, so, again, there's a lot of great things that are happening um, better than just running up and down. You know, um, they'll get there. I mean, these guys are they want to win because it has meaning. They want to compete. 
So all of a sudden that jacks everything up. We're playing a game that's pretty fun. Um, heart rates are, are we're rolling. But again, those guys, they'll always weed themselves out, right? They'll, unfortunately, I think on every team, you're going to have that, that bottom 20%, right? <coughs> yeah. Well, and if, recruited. if you're the bottom 20 because you've given your max effort and you're just genetically and talent, like, and I say genetically being weight room stuff and then technical stuff on the skills and whatever, fine, um, it happens. But for the most part, it's the, mm, I'm not getting as much playing time as I thought. Mm, this isn't as important. And so, as you mentioned, people see it. And, you know, I would often say to individuals, like, you don't have to be the best, but just showing up, show up for, you know, a game, show up for two halves, show up for five minutes, however you want to break it. Down. Most people don't like getting kicked in the face repeatedly. And at some point they tap out. And so I don't care if you're the fastest or the strongest. I want to see that you bring it because guess what? Sometimes in life you get kicked in the face and you might be kicked in the face for weeks at a time, months at a time. And your ability to say, well, that sucked. Now what? Move on. And, and for us as coaches to provide that, Again, I'm not here to motivate you, but if you weren't strong enough, here's a plan. Your body comp's not where it's at. We have a plan, but I can't eat for you. I can't lift for you. But if you've got that burning fire that, again, whether it's you don't want to let yourself down, let your teammates down, or a combination of all of the above, here's the answers and resources because life's not going to give you that. Once you leave athletics and college, we don't know the rules of life. Like you have a game, there's fixed rules and scores, um, but that ability to constantly show up and it's tough. Consistency, consistency, consistency with academics, with life. And people say, well, I have school and class. Well, how, do, how does your wife feel when you, you know, you can't come home because you got eight different things and you got a game management and that, I mean, life doesn't ever change as things get swapped out. You know, college payment, mortgage payment, <laughs> car payment, yeah. you know, whatever. So it just um, these are the skills right now you're learning, I guess, like a subconscious learning of how to how to deal with it. Yeah. You know? And it's just like you said, it's just going to be at, uh, just replace one with a life skill, you know, work. Like you said, kids, balance, you name it. It's no different than schoolwork, at, you know, athletic play, uh, training, uh, recovery no different. It's no different. So right. I think the more successful people who can know how to handle that or can at least work towards improving that will be successful in their careers as they progress. You know? Yeah. And I never really, I've had some pretty successful teams throughout the years with good winning percentages, but I can also tell you stories of teams that didn't win, that went five and five, that went three and seven, but those leaders bought in when there was no promise of a championship there was no That's promise hard. yeah what's this this new guy's coming he's yelling and screaming he wants us to do this and that and now we have numbers on everything my great i'm getting grades on my lifts like every day like what do you mean and <laughs> testing for what i, I just want to play but they took that conscious step to change a program and when you go look at a 10-year run or if you go back to new haven and you see a building that didn't exist but back in 2014 and 15, when a captain says, we're not good. I mean, hearing that, like, we're not, you, we haven't done anything. And then demanding more and then rising up and to be a part of something special like that is probably the greatest gift. And also as a coach, I mean, yeah, I probably helped some athletes along the way, but how much those experiences shaped and impacted me, both as a professional and as a person, 
you know, we still talk about that, you know, that bulldog magic or, you know, we go talk in about, you know, the adversity and just even some of the sayings or just when things get tough, how you handle it. I think it also impacts the practitioners as well. I mean, as you mentioned, you've been at where you're at for, you know, 19 plus years and watching the game and how much it still gives you kind of that burning incentive and desire to push yourself to try to come up with something new. And there's a problem, find a solution. I think it definitely has an energy that feeds off to the practitioner as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would hundred percent agree. I mean, it's again, you look back at where you started with my career, it was evident when I was an athlete, you know, I wasn't the best. I had to figure it out uh, to get there and um, it's still in, right. It doesn't, it doesn't go away. Well, I mean, I guess it can, right. Um, but again, that's that attitude that meant that choice that you have every day, right. That, that as soon as you wake up, like you have the choice to figure out if you want to be better or want to be average again, right. We use the concept of, um, uh, you know, the edge, are you willing to be average? Is that okay with you or isn't it, you know, and never once in my career thinking about it, did I ever want to just be average, you know, and, and again, I define what I think is average to me. It might be different to you, you know, but and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm not happy with it. I'm never going to be, you know, I'll accept where I'm at right now if that's, but I got to figure out how to get better. Um, you know, I remember, I remember these same converse, you know, concepts, you know, with my head coach saying that Matt, like you may get cut next year. It's okay. Well, I'll accept where I'm at right now, but I don't like it, you know, and I'm going to figure out what I need to do to be better. Um, and again, at the end of the day, he makes the choice, right? but never in my life did I ever want to say, man, what if I would have, like, that's the worst, I think, statement that anyone could say that, what if I would have done this? What if I, you know, and it was all because of lack of effort or work or poor attitude and nobody, nobody wants to look back, you know, 20 years and say, oh man, I wish I would have, like, where would you be, you know, today, if you would have. Right. And unfortunately for athletes, sometimes injury is the first experience of that. You're 18, you're feeling good, you're 19, you don't really have any major things, but then you get an ACL or you get a labrum or, or you just get a bad hamstring. You get something out of your control that takes you away from the thing that you love. And that is a a shock and awe experience that I think that um, if handled well, can actually be a positive. (laughs) They can become stronger back out of rehab than they were going into it. Um, And ideally, you want the smallest thing possible. But, I mean, we've all spoken on tragedies, whether it's losing teammates and mental health issues or physical stuff, car accident. I mean, you see it. It just is an unfortunate part of life. But, again, how we can teach people to respond to these moments and, and try to, you know, calcify and 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 harden up so that that way that next time it comes around you actually become the strength for someone else and it's it's super challenging i think that goes across all sports i mean that's the beauty of athletics that's one of the things i love you walk in a weight room close those doors crank the music up you are in your temple of gains and you nothing matters for one hour you know and and you get after it and so that that's really good positive energy and joy that you can bring to the universe and i always took that as a really really big you know personal responsibility to make sure they enjoyed it oh and then you get to go play the game you love like yeah. that's that's pretty great and so Darned, right? we need to remember that as they go forward of how do we create those positive environments yeah i think that's what it, and for us that's that's got to be first and foremost right is that environment that you create as a coach man that that dictates everything 
Like if your environment that you're creating has zero energy, it's boring, nobody wants to be part of it. You could be the best programmer out there. doesn't matter. Right? You could know everything X's and O's, but man, nobody wants to be part of it. What have you done? Um, at the end of the day, you know, X's and O's, you know, I mean, they're, they're extremely important, obviously, but you know, a lot of what the athletes need is very basic to start. Um, it's not until you get the elite of the elite where you start seeing the more complex training concepts and, you know, things along that line. You know, so again, create the environment that people want to be part of. Yeah. That's the biggest thing that on our end, man, that's what we talk RGAs all the time and you get to create it. Yeah. I think having division three experiences early on in my career and then personal training, you know, Oh, you think you're so good. Well, guess what? There's 65 personal trainers. There's 7,000 members. You keep what you kill. Who thinks you're so good? They want to pay you. And I think at the time it was like $90 an hour. And, and so you got to make a living wage. And so you got to go and try to get people to buy into you and buy into them and, and actually give you cash and then go to division three, like you said, where it's voluntary. <coughs> well, again, I can't, you don't have to be here, so I can't scream and yell at you. And I think that kind of as my career grew on, um, went out through the years and it, it kind of grew was if you ask most of the athletes, you know, what do they remember? They probably have a silly story. They probably yeah. have some sort of time. They have some sort of breakthrough. Oh my God. You remember when you said, you remember when we had this lift, even the lifts that I thought were recovery lifts, they'll joke about, Oh, I remember the millennium workout and yeah. this, that, and, um, they're all talking with a smile and, and again we might win some games uh you know that that would be nice but also we have a chance to win every day um by being a great teammate by creating an environment and just like a concert or anything like that whoosh it's gone next year new faces new leadership so make the moment and just it should be a concert every day that they step in and you have to do it um and that's what you as the practitioner uh owe to your to your students yeah, I like that concept, the con concert every day. Just because you know? no, who who doesn't have fun at a concert, right? Uh, did, you see that? Did, you, did you hear what happened at the nine o'clock lift? No, oh, I, I was, oh, I had yeah. the one o'clock this afternoon. Oh, you should have been there. Should have yeah. been there. It was an incredible show. It was incredible. That's awesome. So and so squatted six hundred. Someone hit three thirty inches on the vert. Oh my god, it was so it was crazy. And he yeah. started getting hyped. And it's like, oh right, this is a job. I forgot. Right, <laughs> this is what we love. This is gotta what love it, man. Gotta so, love it. Well, you obviously, like I said, you've done a lot at Salisbury, but also you're actively involved at the national level. What what would be some word of advice for either younger coaches or coaches that are, you know, in the height of their career? How do they get involved in that? Because that's pretty unique to you um, and, and how you got into that. But then also to be involved with kind of these larger movements. Um, I mean, so I think that the easiest thing is just start reaching out, you know, like uh, that's where I did. You know, I mean, part of what we wanted to to create here at Salisbury, I think, had a factor in it. It's like, what do you want, right? What is again? We talked about the average or elite. You know, we wanted better coaches in our program. We're a Division three school that nobody knows of, right? And so, well, what do we have to do to be better? Um, well, people need to know who we are. If I'm going to get better GA applicants, people need to know what we what we produce. Why would they come here? doesn't make sense, right? It's recruiting. And so we said, well, we got to get out and start presenting, you know, and now that just opened the door, right? To say, what does that mean? You've got to now start reaching out to people, right? And figuring out what you can do to help pre to present or talk or do something 
at one of their clinics, conferences, whatever. And so that, that's where it all started. And for us and for me, really being involved with the NSCA and, and those types of things. And then it just, it continued to go from there. I mean, early on in your career, you're, you're a lot more of a yes than you are a no, right? And, and those types of things, just because it's creating opportunity, you know? So I think I've did a lot more yes, yeses to things that I probably should have said no to, but I'm okay with, you know, it's just a little bit of extra work. You're going to have to put it in. Um, but yeah, reaching out to those and starting those presentations, you know, at your, at your state clinics, your regional clinics, your, you know, moving into the, the national clinics, uh, those types of things. Cause now you're starting to get involved with those people. Um, the, from the NSCA standpoint, you're looking at, you know, the state advisory boards. So, you know, I hopped on, I live in the state of Delaware. Um, Salisbury is about eight miles from Delaware. So I live in Delaware because it's taxes are better. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so I have to, I'm on the Delaware, I was on the Delaware advisory board. Um, so again, you're gaining experience in that. And then there's, there's multiple progressions, even within that from being in charge of the advisory board to being a regional coordinator, right. To coordinating, you know, the whole entire uh, process there. Uh, Rick Howard had done that. Uh, and so he's, he's in Delaware. So what a great opportunity to connect with somebody who's done a lot of it, you know, and, so connecting with Rick Howard and communicating with him about those, these concepts and, you know, then it was, Hey, what's needed, you know, what's missing. And that was the NSCA lacrosse special interest group. Right. I know I talked to a gentleman a few years back saying, Hey man, there's nothing like this for football. Why don't you get it started? Didn't do it. You know, now it's starting to pick up somebody else is starting. And it. it's like, again, one of those things, how are you going to make your program better? Right. Well, I want to get better coaches in here because I'm getting out of, uh, you know, that they rest say, Hey man, he has the opportunity right, that I'm looking for. That's going to help me land a job. I mean, our guys, our graduate assistants are landing jobs before they graduate. Uh, we've got one who's actually leaving us two weeks early here because he's got to go. Um, and he can finish his last two weeks online. It's like, man, go ahead. You know? So Again, the biggest thing is starting to, to reach out. I think for, for me getting involved, it was pre presentations because now you're involved with, you know, and how many people do you sit, you, you stand in front of at those, you know, a, a state clinic, <clears throat> you might have anywhere from 150 to 400 people right at a state clinic or, you know, 400 to a thousand people at a regional clinic, you know, so, oh, okay, Salisbury now, now what are you talking about? Right. If you're talking about the same old stuff. OK, like it's, it's not memorable, you know, so what, what memorable things are you going to start to, to talk about or, you know, what type of presentation are you going to create that people are going to say, hey, wait a minute, let me look that up. Let me further contact Matt and see what's going on, because I really, really like this thing that he said. And now that thing that starts to spiral. And again, it's like the snowball effect. Right. It starts getting bigger and bigger. Then other opportunities start coming about. You know, I got to work with the uh, NSCA exam prep. We hosted one here at Salisbury. Um, we hosted it for, I think, three or four consecutive years. Those people who were taking the exam after did a fantastic job passing the exam. Not had anything to do with us. Their work ethic was high, right? And so then it was, you know, online exam prep that we got to do, you know, be involved with. And it's just, you know, opening up more and more doors for just opportunities for me Again, so again, I can be selfish a little bit and say, hey, yeah, it's, it's if I do this for 
here's why I'm doing it, not necessarily for me, but at the end of the day, it's going to impact me as well. And I know that, um, but to help impact really, it's the bigger picture is my job. And what I look at is to impact, influence, and inspire those people in which I surround myself with. And so that's my goal every day of what I'm trying to accomplish. And so if it does benefit me too, in the same realm, like that's cool. Like it's not why I did it, uh, but I'll take it. But yeah, I mean, there's so many different committees and things like that out that are out there. Uh, the NSCA's website has a ton of them. You can just go and look and find them and, you know, apply to join for any, any of the NSCA uh, special interest groups. And, um, yeah, Mary Beth uh, George, she oversees the college strength conditioning. She was one of my GAs, gosh, like 10, 12 years ago. You know, we've got another guy on the uh, soccer SIG. Um, again, it's just that start, right? What, what are you passionate about? Again, if you're passionate about it, let's freaking go, right? Go get after it. Learn more. I've learned so much. Like, I, you know, picking up the phone, like, well, even he's sitting here talking with you today, right? Part of this is creating that lacrosse SIG to be able to, to connect with the, the USA national team, you know, and make those connections for you and vice versa. And, you know, the connections, you know, talking with strength coaches at other institutions, all because of the start of the lacrosse SIG. I've learned more in the past five years than I did before because just that connect, that network was not there. And that's all it really did was open up a network. Well, that's great. And I, I think, too, that, you know, one of the things we love to do on these calls is provide a direct contact for you, for someone who's listening, who's motivated. And even if you don't know what you're going to do or how you're going to do it, how <clears throat> coach here talks about it, as simple as reaching out. But I think there there's a, a knack to that. So reaching out without intent, reaching out um, with humility, uh, reaching out while being hungry. So I reach out. I coach. I'd like one hundred and fifty thousand dollar year job. Probably not a good path. You know, coach, I want you to shout me out on my Instagram. It's just, it doesn't work. Um, and I think that right now we do, we're starting to see a separation of gen different generations of very socially conscious, um, you know, posters. And then we have the, you know, kind of more traditional research guard. Um, and then just, again, that personal touch. And so whether you do it digitally or in person, it's super important to make sure that you are balanced with it. And so if someone wanted to reach out and find out kind of your path or strategy, or like some of the things you said today, what's the best way for them um, to get a hold of you? I'm assuming it's not your TikTok, right? It's yeah, uh, yeah. probably not the best. <laughs> I got to work on getting one of those first. Um, <laughs> now, my the easiest is email. Um, you know, because I'm back and forth in different offices all day. So shoot me an email. My email is m a n e i n at Salisbury. That's s a l i s b u r y dot e d u. Um, you know, shoot me an email, you know, I'll get back to you. I mean, I just this week alone, I had a connector, a guy interested in, in the game of baseball. And so sat and chatted with him for about an hour um, about my experiences, but we've now connected. We're, we're connecting him with four other uh, strength coaches, an MLB strength coach, a rehab coordinator, a minor league uh, with a team and then a minor league coordinator. So again, all of a sudden in one phone call from an, a previous strength coach that I had worked with now has connected him with four different people who will give him four different stories at four different jobs within the field that hopefully open his, open his eyes up a little bit. I mean, it was an amazing conversation that we had for an hour Again, conversation doesn't go in that direction. I don't know if I give that, you know, it's same thing. It's like, you know, I could see his passion and his desire to want to be better. Um, 
So I'm, I'm here. To, I want to help you. You know, so if, that, if you have any questions, again, feel free to reach out, shoot me an email. I'd be happy to help you out as best as I can. Um, you know, help again, grow the field, profession, the game, you know, the lacrosse uh, coach, you name it. Awesome, Coach. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. And again, as you mentioned, you know, I've learned a lot today and just different things to think about. And sometimes, sometimes these conversations aren't about getting answers, but just a new way to think about something, something to percolate on and going through that process. But thank you again so much. We really appreciate having you on the show. Talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Take care. We'll see you.